0: 2nd Corinthians chapter 3, a woman who fears the Lord, there she is, many others here today too. The word fear means reveres, incidentally. 2nd Corinthians 3, and we'll be going to our usual passage in 2nd Corinthians 5 shortly. First, for the Telestai church and for Tetelestai Phalanx within Tetelestai Church. Tetelestai Phalanx is a group of people who takes every, serious, every message with enormous seriousness that comes from the pulpit, sometimes attentive to it more than once. That's Tetelestai Phalanx. So Tetelestai Church... And to Tetelestai phalanx within the church, consider a couple of things. Consider a few images first. Consider Moses up on a mountain. He's communing with God. And the assembly at the base of the mountain is just wondering what's going on? What's he doing up there? Did he die? Did the Lord take him? Is the Lord disciplining him, or what's going on up there? Moses comes down. Not everybody's behaving. I don't I, this isn't a lecture. Consider another image of a CEO who invests a certain amount of financial responsibility with three. Managers. Then he goes away. Managers are wondering if he's going to delay his coming. What's the delay? What? Where is he? Why isn't he coming back? What's the delay? And so some of them started to beat each other up and malign each other and gossip and pass things around that were not true and fellow servants started to fight each other, saying, the Lord delays his coming. The Lord delays his coming. So he doesn't care what we do now in this interim. And again, this isn't a lecture, it's just an image to think of. Third, think of an image of the Lord not apparently caring too much, as we've already related, asleep on a boat in the midst of a typhoon. The water is filling the vessel, the boat. and the winds are rocking the boat the Lord's asleep he's at perfect rest in his father's care he is totally in control the disciples of course cry out, wake him up and say we're perishing which is not true, they were not perishing they could not have perished He had said, I think, if we remember right, let's go to the other side, and when the Lord speaks, the Lord of glory, the creator, the maker, God almighty, then you can pretty much be sure that they're going to get to the other side. Now, I said all that to say that in these past few months, I've as a pastor teacher, and I am your pastor for some of you, for those of you of Tetelestai Church, I may be your pastor. For those of you that are of Tetelestai Phalanx, I may be your drill sergeant or whatever. But for the past several months, I've been with the Lord in a in an extraordinarily individual way as a leader, and the action you might say the way the Lord is directing the church has not been during that time democratic but theocratic. He's drawn me aside. And so it may seem I've been away. It may seem I've been not present to certain things. But even the Lord, people that knew him said he always felt like, it always seemed like he was on his way somewhere else. But... Administratively, that's because I've been seeking him and he's giving direction. Until he gives clear direction, I'm going to shut my mouth about it. And so it's a test of patience for all of you, I know, especially if your attention isn't 100% on the word. During this time of interim, it's a test of patience because. What I've been praying about and considering is the future of Tetelestai Church as something founded by the Lord and kept by the Lord through many tests and trials, and it will be kept. I'm considering the future of Tetelestai Church, where it's going, and it's a future that will not include me sometime, whether sooner or later. Later. My attention, therefore, has been on the Lord with a view to the future of this church, whether I'm in it or not in it, whether I'm in leadership in it or not in leadership in it, whether I'm here or not here, whether it involves me or not. And so I, I'm asking you to have patience while that occurs. There's going to be, during that time, reorganization. Some of it has begun. Some of it will continue. I'm waiting on the Lord, taking a step at a time. Be patient, because the Lord is present, and he's aware of all of the situation. Internally, as well as administratively, reorganization is required with a view to the future of this church, Whether or not it occurs in this location or not, whether or not it occurs with me as in leadership or not, whether it concerns me alive or dead, whether it involves me at all. So while the CEO is away, while Moses is on the mountain, while Jesus seems to be asleep, it's a test of patience. Besides, what is there to pay attention to beside the word of God? What is there to pay attention to besides Jesus Christ and him crucified as it's being communicated through the word? Our attentiveness, my attentiveness, is on that subject all the time. And he gives direction. Do not surmise things as if you know something. Do not, when there's a need to know, you'll know. When there's not a need to know, do not surmise. Render judgments about things that you think might be or might might not be. Because when Moses comes down from the mountain, and I'm not relating myself to Moses, when the Lord comes back to judge his servants, I'm not relating myself to the Lord. I'm just presenting these images. When Jesus wakes up, there may be a little bit of Judgment on how we responded during a test of our patience, during a delay. And so there are reasons why God acts. There, I do not act under his leadership until I'm very sure that he is acting and that he is moving us in a certain direction. So until that time, I'm patient. And until that time, let's all be patient. And until that time, guess what? Love is patient. Now, with that said, I don't have flowers for all you moms here today. But I'll give you what I have. I have the word from my soul. And what I respectfully and lovingly offer to you Today, I offer also to all. I have a curious title for today's Mother's Day message. My title is, All Men. I assure you, among those born of women, no greater than John the Immerser has been raised up. Jesus said, but the least in the kingdom from the heavens is greater than he. And Paul said, I want you to know that the head of every man, pantos andros, the head of every man is Christ. He goes on to say something remarkably unpopular today, and the head of the woman is the man. The head of the wife is the husband. Now, first, in a series of firsts, consider an epistle from Christ, 2 Corinthians 3. We are still in an apocalypse for right now, 2 Corinthians five, fourteen to 21. This is part 9 of what might be a 10 or 12 part series. I may even continue it again Wednesday. I don't know yet. It's not recorded yet. We'll see. But I want you to see how Paul holds on to a thought here. And my whole purpose in this is to show the unity between Paul's message and the message of the preacher who preached Hebrews. He's a preacher who preached Hebrews. How Paul holds on to a thought. In 2 Corinthians 3 2, he says, You yourselves are our letter of recommendation, you yourselves, you Corinthian saints, you are our letter. Back then, preachers were getting letters of recommendation from each other to each other, from churches to churches, and letters of recommendation were a big deal. Back then, they still are today. Sometimes they have a purpose, but Paul said, you are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts Being known and read by all men. Title of today's message, all men. Panton Anthropon, all men. Known and read by all men. Why? Because all men, meaning all of the human species, all humankind, men and women, are the objects of God's unrestricted love and the beneficiaries of God's universal reconciliation. All. All shall know me from the least to the greatest. All will know me, says the Lord, in his promise of the new covenant. Hebrews 8.12, Jeremiah 31.34, Septuagint 38.34. You yourselves are our letter of recommendation written on our hearts, being known and read by all men. Verse 3, being manifestly clear that you, now relate that to you too, to all of us here today, the New Covenant community, like to call ourselves, that you are an epistle from Christ you are an epistle from Christ you are a letter from Christ and to whom to everyone to all men to all humanity to be known by them and read by them what's the content of that epistle it's what we've been studying for many many weeks 2 Corinthians 5:14 to 21 that's the content of the epistle It's what we make our appeal based on. If one died for all, and he did, then all died. If anyone is in Christ, and we all are, there's a new creation. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their sins to them. For he who knew no sin became sin. That we would be made the righteousness of God in him. And so we beseech you as workers together with God, don't receive the grace of God in vain. Because according to my motto as a pastor teacher with regard to administrative and governmental issues of a church, we decide that we're going to not let the ministry be blamed in anything, whether by men or before God, before God and before men. 2 Corinthians six three. 2 Corinthians 8.21, and that's affirmation number 10 of Tetelestai Phalanx and of Tetelestai Church. It's manifestly clear that you are an epistle from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, pneumati theu zontas, the spirit of the living God, Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets that are human hearts. Now, I'll quote Karl Barth, one of the worthy heirs of Paul in the 20th century. I'll say that again. I will quote Karl Barth, B A R T H, K A R L, B A R T H. He's Swiss, like a Swiss watch. He is one of the worthy heirs, in fact, in my view, the heir, H-E-I-R, of Paul in the 20th century. Karl Barth, let me quote him. This is what he wrote in Church Dogmatics. The grace of God in which he is omnipresent or omnipotent, the grace of God in which he is omnipotent, think of that, the omnipotent grace of God, the grace of God in which he is omnipotent is that he wills to take all men. himself in Jesus Christ, that he has done this, that in him he has made it manifest to all men, and that he has resolved and already begun to indicate and make this known to them by the ministry of his community. Let me read that again, because when you read Barth, you have to... Sometimes I'm four hours on a paragraph. Stand up, pace, go outside, breathe some pollen, cough, go back inside, (laughs) drink another coffee, read the paragraph again, read the sentence again. His sentence can challenge you for a week. So how am I going to read 10,000 pages by him? I don't know. The grace of God, which is... um, in which he is omnipotent, is that he wills to take all men to himself in Jesus Christ. That he has done this. That in him he has made it manifest to all men You are an epistle of Christ, known and read by all men. And that he has resolved and already begun to indicate and make this known to them by the ministry of his community. That's you, and that's me. And we have a ministry of reconciliation committed to us. And so all people can know, and all people can read this epistle in us. It is us. The reconciled who know it, who acknowledge it, who are aligning to it by grace and who are attesting to it with various degrees of effectiveness. The new covenant community is an epistle from Christ. You are an epistle from Christ to the reconciled world. The content of an epistle, or more commonly, a letter, is meant to be known. It's meant to be read. The letter is to be known and read by all men, by everyone, that is, because everyone, all men, have been saved by the omnipotent grace of God, have been saved by the omnipotent grace of God. By grace, you all have been saved Through a faithfulness that is not your own, the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. And not of works of any kind, whether they're psychological or ritual or of the flesh, lest any person should boast. That includes a work of believing. You're not saved by a work that you did of faith, a work of believing. You're saved by the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. We all are. It is manifestly clear that the New Covenant community is a letter from Christ. So now, the omnipotent grace of God has manifestly appeared in the form of salvation for all men. Pa, san, anthropon. Titus 2.11. The grace of God has appeared and i've said this many many times cuz the greek text reads much different from your greek bible from your english bibles rather the grace of god has appeared to all men the omnipotent grace of god has appeared colon salvation for all men period that's it the grace of god Titus 2.11. The identifier, all men, means all human beings regardless of gender. Now you know this. Most people know this. But the people that don't know this have an amazing lack of awareness. They're part of a new crew of people called cancelers. They're the kind of people that are killjoys. Any joy you have, they are dedicated to killing it. That's why Jesus gives us a joy that no man can take away because men and women sometimes are dedicated to the taking away of the joy of any person. All men. Now it's a phrase used by writers like Karl Barth in his time. We have to recognize that authors wrote in the context of their time, with the language of their time, with the communication of their time, and whether you know it or not, they may not have been communicating with malign intent toward women when they said all men, because almost everybody then knew that when you say all men in certain contexts, you mean all men, all women, all children, all humanity, all the human species. And there is today, under the invisible overlords, called principalities and powers, a plan to go against what God said, be fruitful and multiply, and mix up the whole idea of male and female and reproduction and children, because the people that are engineering this under the invisible principalities and powers and overlords don't like a little thing called the human species at all. It starts with the mixing up of genders, but it's, what it really is is we think there are too many people on the earth. We are the elite. We know there are too many people on the earth, so we're going to do everything we can, even invent plagues and send them on the earth because we think there's just too many people. We want there to be less people. We are not specious. We do not love the human species. Now, once you discover things like that, you better put on the full armor from God because you just became a target, preacher, Christian, living epistle. Now, God loved the world. people fail to recognize that it's not by delimiting the human population, but by exploding it that the human population will be cared for. It's amazing. If we actually, if the human race actually obeyed God's command to be fruitful and multiply, he would provide much more than is being provided by people holding back on that. That's another time, though. It's Mother's Day. That's a pretty good thing to talk about. The phrase all men is not meant to exclude women or children. It is a phrase that was commonly understood to mean everybody. It's a term of extreme generality. Consequently, when Karl Barth wrote, the grace of God in which he is omnipotent is that he wills to take all men to himself in Jesus Christ is intended to say and in fact was saying the grace of God in which he is omnipotent is that he wills to take all people to himself in Jesus Christ and that he has. It is patently clear to anyone who has read Barth that he is intending to say that. He's not intending to say the grace of God in which he is omnipotent is that he wills to take all people of the male gender to himself in Jesus Christ. He's not saying that. Pastor Brown has spoken many times in a church called the Church of the Brethren. The Church of the Brethren wasn't named by someone who said, let's name the church after, called it Brethren, because it's the Church of the Male Individuals. No, it's the Church of... All who are born of God. Adelphoi. In fact, Paul's own term was Adelphoi. He used Adelphoi many more times than he used the so-called word believer. He never used the word Christian. He used the word Adelphoi for brothers, usually in the male gender, to describe people who, and also saints, set-apart ones. Adelphoi in the male gender did not mean only brothers of the male gender. It meant siblings. That's why I like the word "sib." I don't like the word siblings. But I have to use the word siblings because it fills the bill that's required here for the word Adelphoi. Even though it's in the masculine gender. It usually means, unless it's talking about a room full of men, it usually means women and men. Now I know I'm saying things that to most of you are obvious. In Paul's day and in the much more recent day of Bart, brothers or brethren usually indicated people of both genders. It was not intended to be a men's club. In fact, it may have just been suitable to those who knew the scripture, which says, God created them male and female and called them Adam. He called them, male and female, the man, Adam. Man. Adam means man. The first man, Adam, didn't come from a woman. It came from God. The, first hum- the human race in Adam came from God. The human race in Christ comes from God. Now, after Adam came... Eve was made from the man, and then after that, men came from women. They were born from women. No man ever born of a woman was greater than John the Immerser, but he that is least in the kingdom from the heavens, that's Jesus, who became the least, became the slave of all, is greater than him. And so, back then, people knew God created them male and female and called them Adam. So, male and female were known as mankind. You could say mankind and not be murdered, maligned, sanctioned, canceled, doxed, trolled, marched on, whatever it is. In today's sensitive, and may I even suggest sometimes hypersensitive, social climate, Bart, and Paul, for that matter, in fact, even Roald Dahl and other authors, would be called by the committed cancelers sexist. And much worse names than that because of the lack of awareness that is the companion today of intolerance and hatred. So when Barth uses the term all men, when the context indicates all people, of both genders I'll simply leave his term unedited or I may clarify its meaning once in a while depending on my mood Now today because of certain because of what's termed equity men want to be called mothers too okay if you're a man you want to be called a mother I'll call you a mother You're a mother You say, that's not something a preacher would say. Let me read to you sometime what Jeremiah said. Let me tell you some things that the prophets have said. Anyways, I won't do that today. So this letter happens to be a letter intended for general delivery. What's general delivery? My dad worked for the post office for 30 years, and when he came home, especially in Christmas rush, we stayed clear of him (laughs) because he dealt with the public every day. But there's a thing called general delivery in the USPS, the United States Post Office. And it means that a mailing is sent out with the greatest possible general delivery. And it's intended for... Everyone, including those who do not have a permanent address where it's addressed. That's kind of like all of us pilgrims. Of course, I'm putting a twist on this and using general delivery to mean that the letter of Christ is sent to and delivered to everyone. It's not opened by everyone. We're still on the letter, Pastor Brown, the letter. This is a doctrine we love. It's not open by everyone. In fact, most things general delivery, I'd take and go, there's a wastebasket right there. This one wants money. This one wants money. This one wants money. (laughs) This one wants money. This one wants me to join something. This one wants me to join something. This one says we'll come and put windows in your house. already got windows, thank you. But there's a general delivery And it's a letter from us to everyone. It's meant to be known and read by everyone. It's true about everyone, whether it's known or read by them. It's intended to be known and read by them. We know it. We've read it. Now, in various degrees of efficacy, we are its content to the world. The point I'm making is this letter from Christ is meant to be known and read by everyone, Because everyone has been delivered by the deliverance that is in Christ Jesus. The resonance of this with the new covenant is its allusion to God saying all will know me in his delineation of the new covenant. Known and read by all men. Paul's still thinking about the new covenant. I know that because in 2 Corinthians 3, 6, right down the road from 3, 2, and 3, he says, we are all able ministers of the new covenant. The new covenant says, all will know me. So you're a letter from Christ to be known by all people. Eventually, everyone will know the God who reconciled them in Christ to himself. They will all know me. From the least to the grace. Up until then, we have to say things like, Know the Lord. Know the one who reconciled us all to himself in Christ. But then in future world, no one will ever say to his fellow citizen, Know the Lord, because all will know me. All will have known, read that epistle. Until then, you are that epistle. That's why you're still around. Don't ask me for sure and don't even ask God, why am I still here? You're a letter from Christ. That's why. That's why you're still here. You say, nobody could read that on me. Oh, yes, they can. Yes, they can. And they do. It's a letter addressed to all men, intended for the greatest possible general delivery. Its contents are to be known and appropriated by everyone without exception, regardless of what they call themselves. You say, how does this relate to Mother's Day? Don't mothers love to get letters from their kids? Back in my day at the University of Vermont, my mom would hear from me every three months. And she would always say something like, who is this? When I called on a payphone. Because we didn't have a cell phone where we could call everybody seven or eight times a day. (laughs) Failing to recognize that as Proverbs says, and it's even true about the pillow guy, you begin to despise someone who keeps coming over to your house. Somebody who's always there, somebody who's always calling, somebody who's always on your case, you begin to despise them, even if they're a brother in Christ. The pillow guy again. Oh, no doesn't he know shouldn't he he shouldn't he put say somebody else to do the ad because now i love the man in christ but i hate this guy i hate him he's around every second i'm uh, that's an interesting bit about the news hey it's my pillow oh man so we think that because we don't have to ride in the prairies and talk to our relatives every couple months when we come home the things are much better cuz now we can call each other seven or eight times a day things that does not make things better but i do know one thing my mom used to like to get letters from me and so we are a letter see i just really wasn't that brilliant i just related it to mother's day But this is a letter whose content is Christ, Christ for all men, for all people, Christ inclusive of all people, for Christ is the one who died and in dying included in himself all people of whatever gender, generation, geographical location, whatever culture, nation, tribe, or ethnic background, whatever social caste or class, whatever economic or social status. Even whatever gender, they call themselves, even though God only recognized two, and calls it the human species. Well, I'm neither male or female. I'm de- Really? Well, then God didn't send his son for you, so you're going to hell. <laughs> no, I wouldn't say that. Yes, I would. It would be something, and then I would qualify it and say, "This is what I really mean." General delivery then again allows you to receive mail in an area in which you do not have a permanent address. Guess what? We are pilgrims and wanderers and sojourners. That's the whole. What are the Hebrews? That's what they are. Hebrews are people who are wandering and don't have an address in this world. They look for a city whose builder and maker is God. They wander about in tents, and the thing about tents is they don't have foundations because they can move. We keep on moving, and we're looking for a city that has foundations. And according to Revelation, we're looking for one that has 12 foundations, and they're made of jewels, And they have names on them, the 12 apostles' names on them. Does that include Judas's? Maybe. Is he part of the reconciled world? Yeah. Does that offend you? Maybe. Do I care? Hell no. All men... This general delivery letter is sent to and delivered to everyone. It's delivered to everyone to announce everyone's deliverance. I'll say that again. It's delivered to everyone to announce everyone's deliverance. Salvation. All men, panton anthropon, used so often in the scriptures in the masculine gender to mean all people, the entire human species, uh, the intended readers, and knowers of this epistle. This is how 2 Corinthians 3, 2 and following carries all the way to second corinthians 5:14 to 21 our passage in fact we could say that second corinthians 5:14 to 21 is the content of that epistle from christ which is also an apocalypse or a revelation of christ himself one died for all and all died So when Barth says it's God's intention to gather all people to himself and that he has done this, all he's doing is agreeing with Paul. He's the heir of the Apostle Paul who said that. So why don't preachers say that? Because they are not heirs of the Apostle Paul. And this message, admit that you're a sinner, pray the sinner's prayer, do this and do that, is not an epistle from Christ. It's an epistle from somebody else, not Christ Oh, antichrist then? Yeah, exactly. There are the world's looking for this antichrist. They read books called Left Behind, which is an idiotic name for a book because God leaves no one behind. And they talk about the coming Antichrist. And the Bible says there are many Antichrists in the world today because they do not confess that God has come in the flesh. And I I could say to that also, they do not confess that God has reconciled the world to himself in Christ. They confess something else. That's not a letter from Christ. And as pious as they want to sound, and as pious as they want to act, and as sanctimonious as they want to strut around and talk about Jesus, they are not an epistle from Christ. Now, you can't know the contents of this letter unless you break the seal and open it. The New Covenant community has that letter. Jesus speaks through that letter. You know what he says? He says, I tasted death for you. And for everyone else, you will not see death because of me. I never knew sin's pleasures. I did know sin's pain. I did experience sin's wages. I did it for you. I love you. I love you my father raised me from the dead, led me up out of the realm of the dead. You were risen with me. My father reconciled you to himself in me. As I cried, why have you abandoned me? I became sin for you that you would be the very righteousness of God in me that's the letter that's the epistle you say yeah but you just said that yeah because I'm an epistle of Christ and so are you and he speaks in us and he speaks through us and he makes his appeal through us does he not is it not God in you willing and doing according to good pleasure that is yours and his And what is his will that all be saved? Oh, oh, wait a minute. He is the savior of all men. Masculine, plural. All men. Especially those who believe. Why especially? Because those get to be, those just opened the letter. Read the contents. And now they have a ministry of reconciliation. Are they any more saved than those who don't? Know it? No. But they're experiencing that salvation in the act of believing and restful believing and trustful believing in him. And that's what makes them an epistle. You can't know the contents of a sealed letter unless you break the seal and open it. The new covenant community is not better than the rest of the world. It's just opened and read the letter from Christ. But the ink of the letter hasn't dried. That's the problem. When you open this letter, the ink hasn't dried. It gets all over you. It's not ink. It's the Holy Spirit. He poured, he's poured out all over you. The ink hasn't dried. It gets all over us. Oh, but it's not ink. It's the Spirit of the living God. He got all over us. When the Spirit comes upon you, Jesus said, that is, when he's poured out on you, to use Yahweh's language in the prophet Joel and Paul in Titus 3, six, when the Holy Spirit is poured out on you, comes upon you, you shall be my witnesses. You shall be my epistles. You shall be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, all the way to the outermost regions of the earth. America, even. The ink got all over us. The spirit of the living God was poured out on us. We were saved according to God's mercy. We are now that letter from Christ. The spirit is also known as the Lord the Spirit, later on in 2 Corinthians three sixteen to 18. He's called the spirit of the living God, the living God. That's a familiar term if you read Hebrews. It's found in Hebrews 3.12, 9.14, 12.22, the city of the living God. The living God is called the living and true God in 1 Thessalonians 1.9, as opposed to idols. In 1 Timothy 4.10, Paul called him the living God who is the Savior of all men. Panton anthropon, especially those who believe. And here again, here we are again. All men, the Savior of all men meaning all humanity, all humankind, all mankind, all people everywhere, and from every time, every person born of a woman, as well as Adam himself, the son of God, not born of a woman. The second Adam was born of a woman. The human race did not come from a woman, but from the man, Adam, but ultimately from God. Ever since Adam, every human being, including the man Christ Jesus was born of a woman when we say all men in this context we needn't say all men and women it's understood isn't it just understood just as we shouldn't need to say birthing persons it's clumsy to say that happy birthing persons day it's like what are you an AI and artificial intelligence happy birthing person day birthing persons instead of mothers we know that biological motherhood is a privilege endowed by our creator to women only and not to men so we need not say birthing person in the name of a distorted equity so that some men won't be jealous that they're only indicating women by the identifier mother how come they can be mothers how come I can't be a mother? Well, you are a mother then. Now, you see, sometimes I'm an epistle against the zeitgeist, against this world. Sometimes I'm a little sarcastic. Like Elijah was with the 400 prophets of Baal. When they didn't, their God didn't send fire down to burn up that sacrifice, did it? He said, Where's your God? On vacation, or perhaps he's at the outhouse. That's what he said. He might have even said it in more crude terms. Now, what Paul reveals by the use of plain speaking to be God's universally reconciling act in Christ. Here's where we cross to Hebrews. The author of Hebrews reveals by the use of cultic language. Cultic language comes from cultus. The cultus of the Levitical priests was not a cult, but a practice of worship indicated through animal sacrifices and all that was associated with it. Days and feasts, the most important of which Hebrews 9 and 10 focuses in on is Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, when only the archpriest goes into the second compartment of the tent with blood, the blood of others. He makes a sacrifice for himself and for the people of Israel for the sins of ignorance committed by them. That is a type and a shadow of the substance that is Christ who is our great archpriest who went in once and for all into the holiest of all holies in the heavens and not with the blood of Others, like goats and bullocks and rams and lambs, but with his own blood, securing salvation for the whole of humanity, not just Israel, securing forgiveness, not just for the sins of ignorance of the people of Israel, but for every kind of sin, willful and ignorant of all humanity of all time, once and for all and forever. And so, what Paul says in plain language to pagans or ex pagans, the writer to the Hebrews says to Jews or to ex pagans that had become Jewish by proselyte, by being proselyted, in language that is couched within Levitical cultic terms. That's all. The difference is there, there, only that that the Hebrews writer says the same thing as Paul says in general plain language, but he says it using the cultus of the Levitical priests and a familiar type of worship to the Jews and to Jewish Christians. So what Paul reveals by the use of plain speaking to the Greek, speaking universally, and Greeks knew all about cosmos and logos and universal and all the rest, When he spoke of the universal reconciling act, the author of Hebrews reveals by the use of cultic language, the cultic language of Judaism, priestly sacrifices and offerings to depict the eternally redemptive act of God in Christ. So by cultic, I mean what the American Heritage College Dictionary means, the formal means of expressing religious reverence, ceremony, and ritual. So within that, Paul, sometimes used that. Not all the time. The Hebrew writer used it all the time. Paul used it sometimes because he said, to the Jews, I became like a Jew. I became a Jew, to the Jews. To the Gentiles, the Greeks, I became like a Greek. I spoke like a Greek. I spoke like a Jew to the Jews. Why? That I may save all of them. That I may save them. Meaning, bring them to the knowledge of salvation. Of course, only Christ saves. Like all of Paul's epistles, Hebrews presents Jesus Christ and him crucified and nothing that's disconnected from or irrelevant to that reality. The difference is that Hebrews presents this central reality almost exclusively in terms of the Levitical cultus, C-U-L-T-U-S, a Latin word, which could be known and read by his first intended readers. Again, Paul uses the same thing sometimes. He uses the Judaism, the cultus of the Judaistic practices, in passages like Romans 3.25 where he talks about propitiation made in blood, Ephesians 5.2 where Christ is portrayed as a sacrifice and a fragrant aroma ascending to God. But Hebrews does so centrally and throughout. That's the difference. Paul never refers explicitly to Jesus Christ as great archpriest. Never once. No other writer does in the New Testament refer to him as great archpriest after the order of Melchizedek except the Hebrews author. But Paul does speak of him as resurrected and making intercession for us at God's right hand in the midst of a climactic passage in his consummate church epistle called Romans 8:34, right in the heart of the center God who is for us gave his son for us all to freely give us all things Yea, rather, he's raised him from the dead and he makes intercession for us at the right hand of the Father. In fact, we've suggested before Romans 8.34 can be seen as a kind of launching point into Hebrews. To Jews, Paul spoke as a Jew and to Gentiles as a Gentile. To the Jews and to Jewish Christians or Gentiles converted to Judaism and then to Christianity, he spoke with language that resonated with Jews. Today we have to speak to non-Christians to atheists, to semi-Christians, to anonymous Christians, and to committed Christians in different ways sometimes. To the Jews and to Jewish Christians, Paul spoke with the language that resonated with Jews. And why not? He wrote with the language that was legible to Jews. To Gentiles and Gentile Christians, he spoke in in ways that were relatable to Jews. Gentiles, called pagans or goyim by the Jews. Hebrews was evidently written to a readership who were acquainted, perhaps even intimately, with the Old Testament scriptures and with Levitical practices of the Aaronic priesthood, as Aaronic, that is, as we've also suggested, it may have been written by a Hellenistic, that is, Greek speaking Jewish Christian like the deacon and the preacher, Stephen. Yes, you can have more than one gift. Yes, women are deacons. Yes, men are deacons and preachers. Yes, there can be a pastor and a deacon. Yes, there can be an apostle and a prophet. Yes, there can be an apostle and a pastor teacher. Yes, there can be a teacher and a prophet. See, there's, God gives gifts to people. So, there is the apostolate, the church in its apostolic mission. There is the diaconate the church in its serving mission. Deacon is, is a term, a specific term, but all the church is a diaconate. Apostle is a specific term and gift, but all the church is an apostolate. Well, I have to explain these things and see these are some of the things I'm getting on the mountain. These are some of the things I'm getting while I'm away. These are some of the things I'm getting while I'm asleep. <laughs> so, in pseudo-closing, we may explain Paul's decisive saying, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, while the decisive saying of the preacher who preached Hebrews is this, now once in the termini of the ages, he, Christ, appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. What's the difference? Not much, just one is appealing to Jewish Christians who understand the ironic priesthood and the cultus. Of the Levitical priesthood and Paul is speaking to the Greek and the Jew he's speaking universally when Paul says God is in Christ reconciling the world to himself and the preacher who preached Hebrews is saying once at the terminate of the ages Christ appeared to put away sin with the sacrifice of himself both are saying equally decisive and supremely and enormously important statements called the gospel on top of this Paul refers to the second advent of Christ The coming of a Savior from heaven, using the language that the Romans used for a visit from Caesar. Coming from Rome. No, Caesar may be called Soter or Savior, but I'm calling the Lord Jesus Christ Savior, and he's coming from heaven. The benefits he confers on you aren't a few crumbs of bread and a few coins tossed from his chariot. They are a brand new body. How's that one? While the preacher who preached Hebrews refers to the same event as the second appearance of the great archpriest. Both descriptions or predictions of that event called the second advent are concerned with salvation and with the hope for eschatological alteration of the universal human condition. John in the apocalypse of Jesus Christ refers to this event as every eye seeing Yahweh who had been pierced or impaled. They will see him whom they impaled, one like a son of man coming with the clouds, an event which can describe the coalescence of both so-called advents as one event. The Bible sees both advents, we call it, as one event sometimes, John nineteen thirty-seven. They shall look upon him whom they have pierced, the Roman soldiers upon Jesus crucified, and they will, every eye will see him, Revelation 1, 7, both advents, one event. When one like a son of man appeared on the first advent, he was pierced and looked upon as pierced. When the son of man appears universally, he will be looked upon by every eye as one who was pierced or impaled. Jesus Christ and him having been crucified, impaled, his flesh was torn, his flesh is the curtain into the holiest place of all. The road is a blood-paved highway. It goes through the curtain, that is to say, his flesh. See my hands? They're torn. See my side? It's torn. See my feet? It's torn flesh. I'm the curtain, torn to reveal the way into the holiest place of all for everyone. It's open now to everyone. And when he cried from the cross, the veil was rent in the temple to demonstrate that from top to bottom. An impossible thing to be done by a chainsaw. Say nothing about man in his effort. Done by God. When Jesus said, "Into your hands I I entrust, not dismiss, but entrust my spirit." And so, you say, how long did it take you to prepare this message? Fifty years. In real closing then, speaking of the purification of sins in Hebrews 1.3, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that this purification was made by the Son who knew no sin, becoming sin, so that the world would be made the righteousness of God in him. This purification of sins per se is the putting away of sin itself. In Hebrews 9.26 the removal of sin itself. And that's why 2 Corinthians 5.21, he became sin, means the same as, or indicates the same action as Hebrews 9.26, he put away sin. He put away sin by becoming sin himself. And therefore, he himself was put away he was cut off in a cutting off not for himself that we can't even fathom what occurred then we can't even fathom it because we cannot plumb the depths of his love that brought that sacrifice about so it'll always be new and always be fresh and always be a wonder and never be quite figured out the love of christ that controls us even now His obedience led to the justification of all men and his death to life for all men. And by all men, I mean as the Bible means, as Bart means, as Paul means, as Jesus means, as the Bible means, everybody everywhere and from every time. When describing the cultic practice of priests... In Hebrews 9, 7, and we may be going there pretty soon in our Wednesday as well as Sunday messages because now they're coming together. Once a year, only the archpriest entered. The earthly man-made tabernacle, or holy of holies, with the blood of others, which he offered for himself and for the sins committed in ignorance by the people of Israel. The antitype, and Brian's messages have made this very clear, it's the antitype that determines the type. Not the type, the antitype. The body, my body can go out here if it's sunny, and if the sun hits me in a certain place, my body will cast a shadow. The shadow wouldn't exist without my body. My body is the reason for the production of the shadow. The shadow doesn't produce... My body. Christ is the body. Christ is the substance. The shadow of these sacrifices. He's the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And so his shadow was cast forward. And those sacrifices and that cultus of the priest was merely the shadow cast by the substance. And so it's the antitype that determines the type. A shadow doesn't produce a body, a body casts or produces a shadow with the help of light. Jesus the Christ, the great archpriest, went into the heavenly holy of holies with his own blood. And I am moving to a close right now. As it were, with his own blood. Not with the blood of others. But with his own blood. Once and for all and forever, not to atone for his own sins because he knew no sin, did no sin, spoke nothing sinful, spoke no deceit whatsoever, ever. There's one thing about me and you and everybody in this room and all the overflow rooms. We have spoken deceit at one time in our life. Someone says, i haven't you just spoke to see no he didn't first peter 222 jesus the great arch priest went into the heavenly holy of holies with his own blood not to atone for his own sins like the old testament arch because he knew no sin did no sin but he did go in for sins per se to purify all the sins of all humankind over the course of all time and history and not only for the sins of the people committed in ignorance but all sins in an atoning event by which sin itself and per se was removed made not to be put away paul's declaration culminating in 2 corinthians 5:19 and 21 And the PT's proclamation in Hebrews 9.26, where we're moving in our Hebrew study, are both enormously powerful and decisive statements. United, they present the truth in such a way that is greater than the mere sum of those two sayings. And that's the point I'm making. The power of the message we proclaim is the uniting and the blending and the interweaving of statements And in the law of synergy, the two together would be one thing. But synergistically, they are greater than the sum of the two decisive sayings. On the level of our time, the synergy of such truths is optimal saving power itself. It goes forth and saves. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it's the power of God. For salvation. And it means. It is perceived as that. Known as that. To those who believe. It doesn't mean that. You have to believe to be saved. But it does mean when you believe. You know that message. As the power of salvation. You understand it as the power of salvation. And so as Paul says. He then turns to. Those who have opened the letter. In 2 Corinthians 6 1, to you and to me, those of us who have opened this letter, he turns to us and he says, We also appeal to you, not the world in this case, but the new covenant community. Don't accept the grace of God in vain. For he said, In an acceptable time, notice there's a play on words there, accept as decathai. And acceptable is decto. Don't accept the grace of God in vain, for he said, in an acceptable time, I attended to you. In a day of salvation, I helped you. The word is boethias, boethos, in Hebrews thirteen six. I became your helper in a day of salvation. You who have opened and read the letter, I've helped you. I've attended to you. I've seen fit to reveal my son in you at this time for you. Don't receive this omnipotent grace to no purpose. Go forth as the epistle of Christ. To be known, to be read, and to be more and more legible the more you grow in grace and in the knowledge of your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To all men, to everyone, for it is everyone for whom he died. And when he died, all died. Father, let us be gripped more and more by the love of Christ. May the love of Christ continue to control us. And as we get ready to sing a closing hymn, I thank you, Father, that the love of Christ cannot be fully known by us in this life. We can only grow in this omnipotent grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to whom belongs this glory. And this love, the dimensions of which are his height, our depth, our breadth, and length. This love which we cannot comprehend and fully embrace in this life, we allow it to grip us nevertheless, May make us more and more readable, legible, knowable as an epistle of Christ. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can stand if you want. We'll sing this in closing.